Turn the Bible to 1 Thessalonians. This morning, if you were here or if you were paying attention, over lunch today, I asked the kids, how was the sermon? They said, I don't know, I wasn't listening. <laughs> That's how it goes sometimes or most of the time. But if you were listening this morning, you heard me say that we're going to do the Sunday nights differently than we've ever done them. We are in a series on First and Second Thessalonians, and we're going to go all the way through it, but we're going to go morning, evening, morning, evening like that, okay? So what that means is if you miss morning or evening, you'll miss out on what we're at. Now, all of these are online. You can go back and listen or go back and watch and keep up. But what that means is somebody that was here this morning and somebody that will be here next Sunday morning but's not here tonight, they will not get what we're about to talk about now, okay? But all of those are there, and so if you're desiring to stick with it and, and follow along and catch all of the messages, uh, then, then the Sunday evening messages are going with that. So this morning, we looked at chapter 2, 1 through 12, and tonight, we're going to look at chapter 2, 13 through 16. In order for us to really get it, I just want to recap a little bit about what we talked about. Paul, in chapter 2 of the letter to the Thessalonians, is Paul is somewhat defending himself. He is trying to show how legitimate his ministry is, their ministry is, and how they are trustworthy, why you should listen to him, why you should believe him, why he is faithful to the calling. I had two points this morning, trustworthy lives to observe. If you look at Paul and the life he lived and the way he ministered and the way he served and taught and labored in his mission's effort, you would think, wow, he is sincere. And my two points under that were sacrificial and sincerity. They were sacrificing their lives for the sake of the message and they were sincere in it. Trustworthy lives to observe so that, and then my second point was trustworthy message to believe. A trustworthy message to believe. That the message is from God, they have been entrusted with it, and the message is toward God. They want the people they're giving it to to believe and therefore know God by trusting in Christ. It is with that in mind that we pick up at verse 13 tonight. It's the same passage. There's not a very hard break there. So what he had just talked about, he continues with. Look with me at verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this. So he is thankful to God for their ministry and that they had believed and that God had used them and that they had gotten there with the message and lives that are faithful and the Thessalonians had believed. They had traveled to Macedonia on the Macedonian, uh, being obedient to the Macedonian call. They had ended up in Philippi and God saved people. They had ended up in Berea and God saved people. They had ended up in Thessalonica and God had saved people. God is literally bringing people to Christ and starting churches and saving people through this mission trip and it's unfolding right before Paul's eyes. The very thing that God called him or saved him to on the road to Damascus and called him and sent him to to be a light to the Gentiles is happening before us. He is so thankful for that. He sees God saving people and changing lives. So verse 13, he says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, 
but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Y'all, that is strong. And you've got to understand what he just said. This is so important. I thought that this statement was so important that I was, when I was figuring out this schedule, I, I'm tempted to have that verse on a Sunday morning just because we know how many people are here on a Sunday morning. That the message from them was the message from God. And when they received it, it was really the word of God. Does everybody see that? When you accepted it, it was not Paul's word, it was really the word of God. When we start to talk about a good sermon, what makes a sermon a good sermon? Is it the delivery? Is it the charisma of the one giving the speech? When we start talking about motivational speakers, people that can inspire, is there a difference between that and a sermon from the word of God? If we brought in the best motivational speaker that was not a believer, and they had every component that the world says they had to have. They looked the part. They were engaging. They were funny. They told stories. They did everything. They kept your attention at the edge of your seat, and they inspired you. They drove you to tears. They motivated you, and you jumped up and left out of here ready to conquer the world. But it wasn't truth, truth from the Word of God, and it wasn't necessarily used by the Spirit. Does that change lives? Do the best speeches change lives? There are a lot of influences in our lives that have made us who we are, right? Our work ethic has been formed in us from good friends and our parents and how we were raised and a good boss and a good job and good examples that we've had, perhaps a coach, right? The manners that we use in life, being able to hold a door or say excuse me or thank you, being polite, that's been uh, impressed upon us from all sorts of places, has it not? The humility that we carry, the attitudes that we live our lives with, that's come from all over the place, hasn't it? Teachers in school and friends that we had and countless influences on our lives. Are those the same as the word of God living and active, getting inside of us and cutting us up on the inside and convicting us of our sins and awakening our dead souls and giving us life? Is that the same thing? It is not the same thing. It is not. And I'm all for motivation and pep talks and inspiration. You heard me make that point this morning about my kids in the car, right? A father that exhorts. But when we talk about ministry, we talk about ministering in the name of God, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only done by the power of the Holy Spirit according to his word. We can inspire and motivate people all day long, and I'm here for it. That's good. It will not change a heart. It will not raise the dead. It will not cause you to repent and trust in Jesus Christ, 
The only thing that can make a person dead in their sins alive is Jesus. The only thing that can make somebody turn away from goodness or self-righteousness or earning a, a, pl a place with God and cast all of our hope on the outside alien righteousness work of Christ is the Spirit of God awakening us to that. How many times does the Bible say, but when the grace of God appeared, but God being rich in mercy. It is the power of God through his Holy Spirit, according to this book, this truth, that changes people. And we must understand that. That is why our sermon tonight, or this morning, or last week, or next week, is not, is not to be something that is so good that it makes you feel good, or inspires you, or warms your heart, or answers your questions, or motivates you to be a better man only. All those things are fine and good in their proper place according to the truth of God. But what it must be is a message from God for Christ in sincerity that the Holy Spirit can and will use. It must be. And Paul here is teaching the Thessalonians that he is so thankful that it is evident to him and to them that that is what happened. Yes, these men from a different part of the world had felt like they need to go there, and they did. And they loaded up, and they took a boat, and they walked, and they traveled, and they got there. And they told them a message. They went to the synagogue and they hung out with people and they got beat up and they went to jail and they sang songs in jail. All of the real tangible stuff happened in this mission trip. But at some point in their labors, the Spirit of God took over, kicked in, and caused the hearts of the Thessalonians to receive it. You've heard many sermons in your life and they did not change you a bit. You've heard sermons in your life that the Holy Spirit took like a heat-seeking missile, like a sharp sword, and it got down in you. And you've not been the same since. It convicted you. It led you to your knees. It broke you down. It brought you to the end of yourself. You ran from sin, and you ran to Christ by faith. And you held tightly to Jesus as Lord and Savior because you understood that he loves you and he forgives all of your sins and ultimately because he is running and holding tight to you. And you received the truth of the word of God. In a real sense now, by faith, you are always receiving this word as the word of God. And to the extent that us messengers are faithful to talk about this word, you are receiving it as the word of God, not just a good talk from one of your pastors. This is the very thing that Paul is teaching us and writing to them, making sure they get it. Now, they get it because it already happened, right? 
But now he's giving it to them in letter, reinforcing, yes, it was our word, but it was really the word of God working through us. Does everybody understand that? This is huge. Now, we talk about this a lot even in our own context, and I'll tell you what it is. You hear people say all the time, this is just an old book written by a bunch of different people, right? It's true, right? Over 40 different authors wrote this book. Some Moses, some John, right here's Paul, right? All different people wrote this book. But you know what we also believe? That God wrote this book through them. They were inspired by God. In the passage we read for our call to worship, it's 2 Timothy 3, and if you remember that, then you can just listen. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. It's inspired by God. It is breathed out of God. It is the breath of God. It is the word of God. It is the message coming out of God. This book is the scripture. What's really great about this passage, and we read this at the beginning, is that it goes hand in hand. Of course, Paul wrote this to Timothy too. But it goes hand in hand with our sermon this morning. That their whole lives and their whole effort and their whole sacrifice and their whole sincerity and everything they were doing was their effort. Yet God used that ministry and that message that they gave to cause the people to believe it as God's message. And that's exactly the point he's making to Timothy and that's exactly what he is reminding the Thessalonians. Scripture is that way. It is from man and it is from God. God calls the authors of the Bible to write down his holy word. Paul wrote lots of letters. John wrote lots of things. The prophets had lots of messages. We don't have them anymore. They were not preserved for us. And those things that they wrote were not holy scripture. The only holy scripture that there is divinely inspired by God is this book. Genesis to Revelation, these 66, no more, no less. And when we preach the gospel, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, God, 100% God, 100% man, lived his life, never sinned, died on the cross for us, was buried in the grave, and God raised him up victorious over it. That gospel message is God's message. And when we speak that, we are speaking the truth of God. And when the Holy Spirit calls people to hear that and believe that and receive that, they are receiving the message of God. That's why a speech or a testimony or a talk or a message or a sermon must, if we want God to change lives, must be prayed up and must be about this. Must be. And the Spirit will use it. So what he's telling the Thessalonians here, if you look back, is we thank God constantly for this. That when you receive the word which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men. Listen, it is the word of men. But it's so much more than Paul's words that you don't even think about it being Paul's words anymore. It is God's word but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. There are a lot of other inspirational books out there. And in our world, there are lots of other holy books out there and inspirational books out there. In my office, I have a Quran, which is for Islam. In my office, I have a Book of Mormon, which is for the Mormons, right? From Joseph Smith. 
And there are lots of other books out there that are meant to do that. None of those are alive. None of those are from God. None of those are the absolute truth that this is. What Paul is recognizing in the Thessalonians, and he wants them to understand themselves, that when the message came there and the Spirit came there, which we read about in the book of Acts, that when the Spirit came there, they received their message as the message from God, as God's word, what it really is. I want to show you another place that teaches us this. Turn to Psalm 19. I want you to know these few verses. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, 7 through 9. Here we see some good uh, explaining of what the Bible is. Some explanation of truth, some explanation of Scripture. Psalm 19, verse 7, 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Y'all, the Bible, the truth, the gospel is a living word. It is alive. It works. It convicts of sin. It opens hearts. It opens mind. It enlightens. It brings truth to make sense to us so clearly. There have been a lot of good influences in our lives, haven't there? There have been dads and moms that have taught us so much. There are things that we do just the way we do it because of the way they taught us. And there's been a lot of inspiration. And there's so so much that we are thankful for. I've told the story many times when I went to my first ever freshman basketball practice the night before our first ever game. And our coach said, when you get here tomorrow, every one of y'all be clean shaven. And I remember saying as a freshman in high school, Coach, I've, I've never shaved before. He said, well, you'll be clean shaven for tomorrow's game, right? I had to go home, and I had to say to my dad, Dad, Coach says we've got to be clean shaven tomorrow. And part of the joke was, you don't really need to shave, Josh, <laughs> right? But we had to be clean shaven. And I think about my high school coach's influence on my life all the time of things like that. He made me shave, taught me to shave. He told me you have to be clean shaven. He told me you have to dress up on game day. You have to carry yourself right, right? There's such an impact on my life through people like that and so many others. And yet, I can say without any hesitation, I have fantastic parents and I owe my life to them and what they've taught me. Nothing, nothing influences my life and who I am and how I treat my wife and how I parent and how I pastor and whatever else. Nothing as much as this. This is alive It fuels, it feeds, it informs, it lightens. This is the word of God, living and true. And when it gets inside of you, God causes this message to do something to us. We cannot get away from it because of the way it has a grip on us, a living grip on us. Paul is telling the Thessalonians, I saw that happen to you. That's what happened to you. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians. So that's verse 13. 
And he ends verse 13 by saying, which is at work in you believers. So God's word is at work in them. And yet, as we must admit, it doesn't always go the way we want it to. You just heard me pray over a terribly devastating, sad situation. And yet we believe that our sovereign God knows what he's doing, right? We must affirm that. God knows. We don't understand, but God knows. God is at work in them, and God is at work in us. So Paul tells them there, God is at work in you, and so here he goes, verse 14. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. Okay, well, that sounds good, right? The church in Thessalonica is now acting like the church in Judea. Praise God. But look at how they are imitators. They're going to suffer. He says, you suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. Wow. Think about this. He's saying, man, God is working in y'all. I saw the word come into you. And guess what? Y'all are imitators of the other churches that we know back in Jerusalem. Guess what happened to them? Their people turned on them and beat them up too. And that's the same thing that happened to you guys. Man, God is alive. That's what he's saying. What happened in Jerusalem, when those Jews embraced Christ as being the Messiah, many of the Jews turned on them and killed them. That's exactly what we saw happen with Stephen in Acts chapter six, seven, and eight that Saul was in charge of, the very guy writing this. And it's what you see throughout the book of Acts everywhere they go. They go into the synagogue. They preach the gospel to Jews. Many people believe it's an awesome story. It's revival breaking out. And yet, many people get upset, get mad, oppose them, and persecution happens. That's what he's saying has happened to them. You read about it in Acts 16, 17. Now he's recalling it here. The same thing that the Jews did to the Jerusalem church, the Thessalonians did to the believers in Thessalonica, Thessalonica. Verse 15. Well, how bad? Who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Let's call it what it is, right? He sure does. The persecution against God's message the spread of the gospel and the lordship of Christ is against God. Can we say that? Yes. We have to say that. We have to say that in our world. When somebody is opposing the spread of the gospel and the lordship of Christ and the salvation that God gives and the only hope that there is for the sinful world, when they are opposing that, they are opposing God. It displeases God, and they are opposing all mankind. It says that too in verse 15. It is good to point people to Christ. It is good to point people toward salvation. It is good to point people toward truth. It is good to tell people to turn from their sins and that they are loved in their sins and that Jesus died for their sins. To go against those who do that is displeasing to God and opposes all mankind. We saw that with the Jerusalem church and he says we see that now in, Thessal in Thessalonica. Verse 16. By hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. 
I love how Paul's always fresh. He's never like dull. He's never kind of lost his edge. It's, It's so good. This guy's been through so much. And he's reminded, if we go share the gospel over there, God might save some people. It's kind of the way we think about FCA. If we can get in that school, if we can get in that locker room, if we can talk to that team, I know it's gonna be awkward. I know there's a lot of people that may not receive it. And I know that 99% of those kids are not even gonna listen, but there might be one that gets it, that receives it like it's the word of man, but they receive it really like it is the word of God. And Paul always thinks this way, right? The Bible tells us, and we just studied this in the middle of the week, that when Paul ended up in Athens, this is now Acts chapter 17, when Paul ended up in Athens, it was supposed to be a break. Like, chill out, man. Everywhere you go, they're beating you up. You need to go rest there. And Acts chapter 17 says, Paul looked around and he saw there was nothing but idolatry anywhere, and it bothered him on the inside. So he gets up and starts preaching again. This guy was fueled by the idea, if I can speak about the Savior Christ to somebody anywhere, God might save somebody. They might take the message of man and God make them receive it as the message from God. That's still true today. That is what we do. That's why we live. That's why you should bring it up. That's why you should bring it up. That's why you should bring it up. And Paul says that when they are opposing us and displeasing God, they are hurting mankind and they're hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. We traveled all the way there because if we can tell them this message, they might believe. And because they're making such a fuss and so much persecution over it, we may not be able to. So look what he says. So as always, to fill up the measure of their sins. It's wrong, it's bad, it's sin and sinful, and it is fully sin. But wrath has come upon them at last. Kind of a hard thing to interpret. We don't need to get into all of it right now. But let's just conclude that he's saying God knows they're wrong. Opposing Christ and his message and his work and the messengers is wrong. And God will judge that. And the wrath of God is coming against that. Hey, in our lives, and in our ministries, and in the spread of the gospel around the world, there are so many factors that hinder the work. There are. There are so many factors that hinder the work. It's one of the most deflating things about just evangelism and missions. You try so hard, right? And something comes in the way and messes it up. And you think, why? Why does God allow that? But in all the things that mess it up and oppose it, and all the things that mess it up and oppose it, Paul reminds here, God knows, God sees, he's against it. And his wrath is against it. He finds comfort in that in knowing that the efforts are worthwhile and the things that are getting in the way will be dealt with. Now, we stop there tonight because it's verse 16, it's the end of the section, and on Sunday morning, we will pick back up at verse 17. But as you notice when you read the book of Acts, there is this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between God is working, yet there's a lot of discouragement and opposition, and yet Paul sees that 
as a energizing, uh, reinforcing to keep doing it. Because although the world tries and tries and tries to stop the advancement of the gospel and the, the, the church of God and the love of Jesus, it can't. It can't. God is doing it. God is unstoppable. He will not be stopped. And what we'll see, starting back on Sunday morning, is that the Thessalonians are being built up. They're being built up in the truth. They're being built up in the love of God. They're being built up on the gospel of Christ, the Lord Jesus who loves us and died for us and forgives us of all of our sins, that makes us alive to know him and his truth. Verses 13 through 16 are a passage that I thought we needed to look at by itself. Most importantly because of verse 14 and receiving the word of God. But it is true that receiving the word of God for as great as that is will often be met with hostility. It will. We must be aware of that when we think about the lives that we're living, the jobs that we have and the people that we run with. When we baptize a freshman in high school, we rejoice for her, took pictures at the end of the service. We're happy for that. But don't you and I both know it's not gonna get easy from here, is it? It's gonna get hard. It's gonna be hard to be a teenager through the high school years following Christ. But we also know the word of God is alive and it will keep her and it will sustain her and it will fuel her. This is the idea behind what Paul is writing to the Thessalonians because what is happening in us and what God is doing through us is real, it's a power, it is true from his word through the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus. The Thessalonians were strengthened by that and may we be strengthened by that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these verses that we can look at on top of what we saw this morning. Father, may we believe that this book is your word, the real word, and may we receive it like that. God, may we put less stock in how good a preacher is and may we put more stock in how true and sweet your word is. Father, may we be able to handle any adversity that comes our way or opposition because of what you're doing in us. May you strengthen and sustain us. Father, thank you for Jesus, our King, our God, our Savior. We worship you. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. God, thank you for our time here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.